Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is different kinds of crosses. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zensalo, and it is my honor to serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I am Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, let's start with one that didn't even occur to me until somebody pointed it out. And that is that Catholic churches have the crucifix and Protestant churches or Lutheran churches, I'll let you clarify that statement, have just a cross. No dying Jesus. I found that absolutely fascinating when I figured that one out. When did you figure it out? Not that long ago. (laughs) Way too recently. (laughs) Totally, totally true. So Catholic churches have what is called the crucifix, Mm -hmm. and that's the one where you see Jesus dying on the cross. And so lots of people have seen this in art all around the world, crosses, etc. You can find lots of jewelry with it, all those different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's a very Catholic image to have the dying Jesus on the cross. It was another one of those images stuck in my head from being a kid, sitting in church, looking up at this scary, dying, scrawny form. Didn't like it. Yeah. And it can be depicted in lots of different ways. I think the cross at my university is a crucifix technically. Okay. But it's so modern art symbolic. Oh, no, this was not modern art symbolic. Right? Yeah. And then at the Newman Hall in Berkeley, right off of UC Berkeley, Uh there's the Newman Hall there. Their crucifix was definitely like crucifix. Oh, yeah. There was Diane Jesus. And at least life size, if not larger. Absolutely. And the one in Newman Hall was certainly larger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the Catholic and the Protestant, not just Lutheran, but Protestant in general, is the empty cross. Okay. So some of what this is, is where do you focus your theology? Do you focus your theology on the death of Christ or on the resurrection? Of Christ. Mm, fascinating. The empty cross is the Easter cross. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, that makes sense. The empty cross is the cross that says Jesus is no longer here. Jesus is risen. And so Protestant crosses are pretty much all exclusively empty crosses without the individual on it. And that's proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. So I have not been to a Roman Catholic seminary, so I could be totally wrong on this. And someone can write in a scathing review of today's podcast and tell me how I'm wrong. Totally okay. But if you think about the penitential way in which you enter and you earn your faith in the Catholic Church Uh and you earn your salvation in the Catholic Church, and then you think about the way in which Protestants rely upon grace, Mm -hmm. particularly Lutherans rely upon grace and say that because of Jesus's act, we are made right with God, period. And so what we lean into is the empty cross, the promise of that resurrected Christ. And so we don't have the focus as strongly on the cruciform of Christ. Makes sense. And there's a whole bunch of others. So the other one that's really interesting in my seminary main classroom Geezy number one, there was a big cross on the side there. It was a wooden carving one, and it was a Christus Victor cross. Okay. Which means Christ the victorious one. 
And so if you see a cross where Jesus is looking like healthy and great, and maybe there's a ray of sun around his head, he might be in this one. He was fully clothed again. Okay. And still nailed? No. Hands outstretched. Okay. Still wounded. Okay. But clothed and rising. Mm. And that is Christ the victor, Christ the king, Christ victorious. I think that came more in stained glass windows because most of what I remember is still the kneeling. You're going to get the crucifix in those places. But that's another very specific choice to have, you know, your crucifixion, to have your empty cross, to have Christus victor proclaiming that kind of resurrection victoriousness of Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. There are lots and lots and lots of different kinds of crosses then that have been used throughout time and all have slightly different meanings. All right, then which one should we start with? Well, a couple of lengths ago, we actually did a series explaining some different crosses and how they look. And so we'll just chat for a moment about each of those. We've got the Ash Cross. Okay. Right? And that's from Ash Wednesday. Sure. When we hear this promise that we are dust and to the dust we shall return. The Ankh, and some folks may know this from some movies from the 80s. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right? So the Ankh, it's an ancient Egyptian symbol for life. Okay. And for eternal life. And so Christian co-opting makes the Ankh symbolize the conversation about eternal life that Nicodemus has with Jesus in the Gospel of John. And so that gets picked up in that way. It's a bit of cultural appropriation. Just a little. Just a little, being aware of that. Oh, and for those of you who are not being able to picture these symbols, they're going to be on the podcast webpage. So please know that you can go looking for these and we'll easily have them there for you. That's right. We could probably even pop a picture up on Facebook of our little worksheet here. Yep. So there's the Jerusalem cross. And this one, we could describe it as being like a plus sign with four mini plus signs along the interior of it. A lot of crosses. Lots of little crosses within the big cross. And this one is about evangelism. This is the cross that is saying, we're going to take this story to the four corners of the earth. Okay. And so the four crosses on the interior of the cross, it's, we're going to take this and tell the whole world about it. Okay. It can be associated with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well Mm -hmm. that we learned about in worship a couple weeks ago as being St. Fatini, according to the Orthodox tradition. Okay. You'll see that a lot if you do go to Jerusalem. You'll see the Jerusalem cross. Okay. So the next one is kind of an X shape. And it can be called the Saltier Cross. And this one gets associated with the man who is born blind and is given sight. So you're kind of hearing, if you've been in church these last weeks, it's the same main characters that we've been hearing about. Okay. And the symbol is an X. It can also be, some folks might call it a chi, because that's the Greek word for that symbol. It's the chi letter in the Greek alphabet. Some folks also know it as St. Andrew's Cross, because it is said that St. Andrew was martyred on a cross of this shape. Hmm. Fun. Yeah. Neat, huh? A very familiar one then, because it's so popular in tattoo art today. Oh, nice. Is the Celtic cross. Sure. 
And you can think of the traditional style cross where the bottom is longer than the top and the sides are kind of equal to the top. And then it has the arons, the circle all the way around in the center. And then it's oftentimes filled with Celtic knotwork and that kind of a piece. And that one, that eternal, everlasting life, salvation, glory, it, it's definitely focused on that sort of Christ as victorious one mm-hmm. can be associated with Lazarus and the rising of Lazarus. It's that proclamation of the never ending joy that can come. So there's your Celtic cross and it looks cool. Yeah. Right. And I think the last one that we did that year's Cross of Glory. So if you think of the Christus Victor that I've already talked about, that kind of victorious cross, that promise that things are going to be awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the good side, the excited side. So less about someone being tortured and killed, more about God redeeming the world. Now, it seems to be such an obvious symbol, given how he died. Has it always been? the obvious symbol that I think it is, or is that a modern thing? It was not the symbol used by the early church. Huh. So the early church, the symbol that they used, they dealt a lot more with baptism. Okay. And they used the fish. So if you have seen, as I'm sure many of us have, the little, it's called an ichthus, but it's the little Christian fish on the back of people's cars. Mm, I was going to say, it's a bumper sticker classic. Bumper sticker classic. So Where that comes from, that was one of the very, very earliest Christian symbols. And what it was is it was a way to tell one another that you were a part of this underground, illegal group of people who believed in the resurrection of Christ. Do I have the story right in my head that they would draw it on the ground with their foot? And if you noticed it, you knew what was going on, but other people would just walk right on by. Right. You could just do like a half circle in front of you. And the other person would fill on the other side. And the other person could do the other half. Nice. And there, there's your fish. There's your ichthus. And so the word ichthus comes from the Greek letters iota, chi, theta, epsilon, and sigma. So hard if you don't know what the Greek symbols are, but the I stands for huizu or Jesus. Okay. The chi is an X, looks like an X. This is where Xmas comes from. Okay. Because X is the chi, which is the first letter in Christos, which is the word for Christ. It's not just Xing out Christmas. No, it's not Xing out Christmas. It's actually... You can use it again. I use it all the time. Thankfully. Thank you. You're welcome. So X is a symbol. It's an ancient symbol for Christ because of the Greek word Christos, which begins with the letter chi, which is the X. Excellent. So Jesu Christos, which is Jesus Christ, theta is the letter that begins the word theos, okay. which is the word like theology, mm-hmm. which is the word for God. And so that's another shorthand that I use a lot in my writing when I'm taking notes. I just use a theta for God. Okay. X for Christ, theta for God, right? So Jesus Christ, God, upsilon, the upsilon, the next symbol in there is for huios, which is son so God's son. Sure. And then the sigma of the ichthus, the last letter of that, is for the word for savior. Okay. And so what the letters underneath the fish that you'll see sometimes 
mean Jesus Christ, God's son, savior. Uh Uh-huh. There's an old mystery solved. There you go. The fish is called the ichthus, which is the first letter of each of those words. Okay. It's an anagram. All right. Good mysteries solved. That is the much more ancient symbol. The fish is a much more ancient symbol than the cross that was utilized. I think that if you were living in the contemporary time of Christ, you probably wouldn't want to wear the torture device that was still being used on your neck. And you wouldn't necessarily want to highlight that. That's not the highlighted part. Being called to serve and be with and among and to offer healing and those kinds of pieces, the baptismal imagery was much, much stronger in the early church. And the fish is a part of that kind of baptismal imagery and those kinds of pieces. You'll find it a lot more in the catacomb paintings of the early church than you will the cross. Interesting. What about the actual sign of the cross where you touch forehead and your chest and then, what is it, a heart wallet for the different (laughs) each side? I don't know what the origin of that is. I don't know when that started happening. But the way that that is done, and it can be done in any Christian church. It's really okay. I know that there are many Protestants who choose not to do it because it seems like a Catholic thing to do. Mm -hmm. I find it helpful as a symbol to just that whole embodying of the faith and not just passively receiving, but actually embodying it. Okay. Sometimes I find doing the crossing to be helpful. So it's touching your forehead, then your stomach. And then in the Western church, it's your left shoulder, which I guess would be your heart. That's your heart. And then your right shoulder. And in the Western style, it doesn't matter how your hand is. Okay. Like you can have your hand in any different way, whatever you do. In the Eastern church, you hold your fingers together, pointer finger, your middle finger, and your thumb together. Okay. And that's what you bless with so that you have the three parts of the Trinity. Oh, sure. Symbol of the three parts of the Trinity. And you touch your forehead to your stomach to your right shoulder and end at your heart on the left. Huh. And it's a difference between the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox church and great schism and all those wonderful things. So... Those are the differences, but I find it something that when I do that, it helps me to embody my faith. It just calls me back to my wholer person, I think. Mm-hmm. Another time when you can do that is when the gospel is announced. Sometimes in Catholic churches, you'll see people cross their forehead, their mouths, and their heart oh, with their man, thumb. I was going to ask about that one, but I didn't think you'd know the answer, so I kept my mouth shut. Because that's one I remember seeing. My parents didn't do it, so I never did it. But it was always just fascinating to me for some reason. I love that one. I don't do it because I'm up in front and everyone is watching me. If I am at a worship service by myself sitting in the back row where no one is going to notice me, then I will do this one. And it's Christ open my mind, open my lips and open my heart, Hmm. right? As the gospel is being received to just recognize the power of Christ being in those places in which you will hear and think of God, that you will speak well and receive God, and that you will have God dwelling within your heart. So totally acceptable to do when the gospel is announced. Oh, man, I'd feel like such a poser if I tried to do it now. Right? (laughs) It's a a different, but I will say that when no one is looking and you can do it, and you can just enter into it as a prayer to say, I want to hear this. I want to hear what you want me to hear today. And I want to be open to that, I find it a really helpful 
again, embodiment of that prayer. Interesting. Okay, last question. The other obvious way that crosses come up is in jewelry. Do you wear them other than Sunday morning? I occasionally do. Okay. And I will say when I wear jewelry, it's always, I think we have mentioned this in another podcast, it, there's always a reason for it. Uh-huh. I have a few crosses that I've been given through the years and I'll wear them on specific times and places and when I really want to remember that particular individual carrying with me or the event that was part of that. Sunday mornings, sometimes I wear them, sometimes Uh I don't. It depends on whether or not I think it's going to get in the way of my microphone. Oh, sure. It's just that simple. That's delightfully practical. Right. (laughs) Right? Like if it's going to clink and clank around on my microphone, then I'm not going to wear a pectoral cross. Okay. And that's what the big ones that pastors wear are called, are called pectoral crosses. And if the bishop is in the house, I will not wear a cross because if the bishop is in the house, then the bishop wears the cross, not the other pastors. That is part of what delineates a bishop from the other ordained pastors. That's a crazy bit of hierarchy I never knew. Uh huh. Bishops are the only ones to wear purple clergy shirts. Huh. And they should be the only ones wearing a pectoral cross if they are in the worship service and vested. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So if the bishop's in the house, take that cross off. All right. I got to go back and look at some pictures where I know that there's a bishop in the house. I want to see if it's true. <laughs> I have taken my cross off when a bishop has come in before, but I don't always wear them. Sure. And it really is just about what layers are on and that kind of a piece. I have some beautiful pectoral crosses that I have been gifted, though, that are pretty precious. All right. Here's an addendum question. Yeah. Do you find other forms of jewelry more meaningful than a cross or is it just is what it is. That's a great question. I am not opposed to wearing a cross. I think it has more to do with practical reasons. Many of the crosses that I have are larger because people have gifted them to me and they're larger and they don't fit the collar lines of my shirt as much. Sure. I oftentimes wear my Holy Spirit pendant. So the Catholic style round saint little pendants Uh that they have. I have one that says, Holy Spirit, guide us. And I wear that one probably when I would usually wear a cross. Interesting. Because it's shorter and it fits in my necklines better. That is interesting. Yep. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the different kinds of crosses. I look forward to sitting down with you another day on another topic. As do I. We would love to hear from you. You can always reach us on Facebook or send us an email at podcast at centralportland.org. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.